All right, so let's talk about this sermon. Uh, Snob. We're talking about prejudice, partiality, a superior mindset. If you are on social media, uh, it's hashtag don't be a snob. And, of course, we can also send you the sermon notes as well. I've given the the, uh, email address enough today. (coughs) You know, when we think of the attributes of God, we think of his holiness his justice, his wisdom, all the omni-words, that he's all-powerful, that he's all-knowing, that he never changes. We think about his love, his grace, his kindness, his faithfulness and goodness. And you can probably sit down with your Bible or your app on your phone, that's the Bible, and list many more wonderful qualities of our Creator God. But there is another attribute of God that we don't talk about very often. Yet the scriptures speak about it a ton. And that's the attribute we're going to investigate in this sermon series about God's impartiality. God's impartiality. God is absolutely, totally impartial in dealing with all people. And God treats all people the same. Well, I apologize for my cough. I'm working through here. This means he is completely unlike us. And the fact is, because we are very biased in our dealings with people, whether we admit it or not, we are. We tend to put everyone in some kind of category that is higher or lower than other people. Let me give you an example. We're going to get real. We're going to reel up in here, okay? You're at a gas station, and a car full of teenagers pulls up. They're white. What do you think? Nothing. You're in a car, you're at a gas station, and a full of black teenagers pull up. Do you think about the same thing? Do you think about, man, I wonder what they're going to be doing. Can I just get real? Because we all do it. We all do it. We tend to put everyone in some kind of category that is higher or lower than other people. It may have to do with their looks, their wardrobe, the car they drive, the house they live in, their skin color their social social status, personality, and on and on and on. But with God, all of these man-made categories, collectively and individually, mean absolutely nothing. They are of no significance to him whatsoever. You don't always know how other people feel about you, but you don't have to worry with that with God. You don't have to worry about that with God especially if you are his child. If you are a child of God, you never have to worry what he thinks about you. Because if you are a child of God, he sees his son. He sees his son. He sees, he sees a perfect child. Yes, we still got our sinful nature, but the blood has covered us. And I think sometimes we forget that. We forget, we forget that Jesus' blood has covered us. 
that God has forgiven all of our past, present, and future sins. Deuteronomy 10, 17 says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who does not show partiality, doesn't play favorites, nor take a bribe. Malachi 2.9, or as Pastor Pharaoh says, the Italian writer, Balachi. God's spokesman here is rebuking the priests, the church leaders, for showing partiality. He says, so I, God, have also made you despised and abased before all the people, just as you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality to people in your administration of the law. So God's calling out the priests, the church leaders, for showing partiality. We as a staff and a leadership team want God to bring conviction upon us if we are doing that. And you as my church family, if you see me doing that, you have every right to call me out. Just because I'm one of your pastors doesn't mean you can't call me out. Acts 10 records Peter presenting the gospel to a Gentile, acknowledging that God is partial with reference to his saving grace. The forgiveness and love is available to anyone and everyone. Now, God had to work in Peter's heart. And when the Holy Spirit took over, God was able to use Peter in a remarkable way. What about you? If the Holy Spirit took over your life, what would look different? Would he bring attention to partiality that you have towards other people that don't look like you? And what could God do through you if the Holy Spirit took over? Verse 34 and 35 in Acts, Peter said, Most certainly I understand now, now, that God is not the one to show partiality to people as though Gentiles were excluded from God's blessing. But in every nation, the person who fears God and does what is right by seeking him is acceptable and welcomed by him. And this is an amazing thing. And we'll, and we'll maybe look, look at this a little bit deeper about, about Peter's uh, mind shift that, that he had. But here you have, you know, Jesus. He was disciples. He was a disciple of Jesus, and he saw Jesus treat people the same. You know, young or old, you know, Jew, Gentile, it, doesn't, it didn't matter. And, and, and so he sees Jesus die on the cross. He sees him rise from the dead, raised from the dead, and then, and then he's still struggling with this impartiality. And we're talking like, you know, one writer said it was like 15 years later that, that God gives him a revelation. And so, you know, I want to encourage you that we've made strides, but there's still a long way for us to go. This, may to, may, this, may, this ought to make everyone really happy that God also came for the Gentiles. Because that's you and me. 
There's other examples of God's impartiality. Romans 2, Paul teaches us that not only is, is he, uh, Paul teaches us that not only is he impartial about dispensing judgments. First uh, Timothy 5 in, Hebrew, in Hebrews 5, Paul talks about God's uh, even-handedness in the matter of his disciples. His chastisement, his children when we sin, that God disciplines those he what? He loves. So if you've been disciplined lately by God, you should be thankful. It doesn't feel good, but we should be thankful. And you know what? He doesn't, sh- he doesn't have impartiality. He just doesn't discipline some of the kids when he does one thing and, and some of the kids when he does nothing. No, he disciplines all of his kids that he loves. You know, I remember when I was in third grade, and my teacher, Mrs. Stobabin, uh, looked, you know, she was like, you know, back in the day, you know, 30 years ago, she looked like what an elementary teacher looked like back then, you know? Um, she had the painted-on eyebrows, and, and uh, you know, wardrobe was, was pretty rough, you know? And, um, but I remember one day, I'm sitting there, and I, and I acted out. I know you're really surprised by that. I mean, I was, you know, I'm a pastor now, right? So that would, it didn't happen. And I remember acting out, and I remember a ruler coming over my knuckles like a stinking ninja. Back at not, you, would, you don't have that anymore. But 30 years ago, you did. And I deserved it. And it got my attention. Not only did I get the ruler across the knuckles, but I also got to sit next to her. I also got to move my little desk. You know those desks that weigh like 30 pounds, you know? And she almost got like a hernia picking up. I, she, she moved mine up. And, uh, dude, she was like, you know, like in her 50s or 60s, you know. She don't, we don't mess around. And I got to sit next to her the rest of the day. But guess what? She was one of my favorite teachers. Because she treated everyone the same. And, man, I had respect for her. And I know, I know that she cared about me. I know that she cared about giving me an education. And get this. 17 years later, I'm going to Asbury Seminary in Kentucky, and one of my professors is her son. How crazy is that, man? And so we're sitting around um, at, in the cafeteria at Asbury Seminary, and, and, I'm, and I'm talking with them, and I'm talking about his mom and how special. Well, no, no, this is not the it, it was good. It was good. It was good. Because I, I know who he was, you know. And so I'm talking about his mom and, and what a special lady, lady she was, and, 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 man, he couldn't agree more. And so he was sharing me, but just about what an awesome mom that she was. And, um, you know, just that impartiality and discipline, and I think about how God does that with us. I remember my dad, my dad did not show any impartiality for discipline when I was a kid to my brother and sister and I. I was the, I was the youngest when I was the baby. And we would, I remember driving down to Florida, and we would drive to Disney World 15 hours in a car. Listen, my kids are like 
all upset that our van doesn't have one of those DVD players. You know, they saw one of our friends, that they got one of those DVD players, and they're like, that's not fair. We don't have one of those. I'm like, you kidding me, man? And, uh, but I remember one of these, one of these Disney trips, and, uh, you, you know, you always got to act out in the car, you know. And uh, it was, it was we, were, it, we were in the car, not a van. So <coughs> my dad perfected the, um, <coughs> the three punch type of thing, the three slap. I shouldn't say punch. He didn't punch me. The three slap. So we'd be acting up there, and he would be able to backhand all three of us at the same time. Now, I was the baby, wasn't quite as smart as my brother and sister, so they learned how to duck, and I was always the one in the middle. So sometimes the three slap, I took the full force of that one as well. But my dad did not show any impartiality to us as kids. He's a loving dad. I love you, dad, if you're watching this. Um, and I'm glad you disciplined me because it's all coming back now as well with my kids. Ephesians 6 says, Paul makes it clear that God is impartial with reference to a person's occupation God doesn't have greater affection for, more love for, more blessings for a manager, a president, a CEO, a king, a boss, than he does for the humblest of all people. I could go on and on, giving you example after example from the scriptures concerning God's attributes of impartiality. But the book of James is where I want to focus on this sermon series because he talks about this matter of partiality as it relates to the life of the local church. We don't like to admit it, but even in the church, because of our humanity and because of our fallen sin nature that we still battle with, we tend to be very partial to certain people. James says the church is impressed by bank accounts, Cars, wardrobes, jewelry, occupations, professions, reputations. And James draws a stark contrast against the fact that God is not impressed with any of that. James is saying the things that impress the local church are of no consequence to God whatsoever in valuing the worth of a soul. To God, they are not important or significant like they are to us. And it's going to be hard teaching, man. It's going to be hard teaching. But we need to hear it. We need to hear it. Uh, we, we are a very loving church. I love um, looking around, and I love seeing that diversity uh, at, this, at, this, at this campus. And uh, I love how you can pull up, if you're a first-time visitor, you can pull up in a, uh, a beater, or you can pull up in a BMW, and we're still going to treat you the same. I love that. But because we are human, and because we live in a fallen world, and because we still struggle, there still is partiality, even at this church, that we need to tackle. God judges our worth on the basis of the inner person. 
The prophet Samuel put it this way. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the what? On the heart. On the heart. And that's how we should be. God is not interested in a person's wealth, wardrobe, any of that. On the other hand, God is not disinterested in you because you are poor, because you don't look so good, because you're not wearing the latest fashion, because you have a common occupation, or you don't have any college degrees or any reputation or social standing. God doesn't snub you because of what you lack. Neither is he impressed by, uh, by you because of your status or wealth, by what you have. Because you know what? Everything you have, he's given it to you. Whether you want to believe it or not. God wants his kids to be like him, to be impartial because God is impartial. It's easy for us to say amen and agree, but so hard. And if we're really being honest with each other, it's one of our biggest struggles, and we don't even realize it. I guarantee you, some of you are going to go out to eat. Some of you should take the pastor out to eat. You haven't taken the pastor out in a very while. Thrown in there a little bit. Uh, some of you are going to go out to eat, and you're going to see some people that look different from you. Some of you are going to go to Wally World and do some shopping and going to see some people that look different from you, and there's going to be impartial thoughts coming through your mind. It is. Let's get real. There are some people you don't want to come here to the bridge. Can I say that? There are some people that you just don't want coming here. Now, you may not say it if they came, but you may be thinking about it. That's why it's so important to hold each other accountable. And when that mindset comes up, we need to call that out. If we are really a church that loves God and loves people, when that comes up in a conversation like in the lobby or the parking lot or out in the community, with someone that goes to church here, you need to call that out. And if they don't like it, say, Pastor Jeremy told me how to do that. So here you have James, who's the half-brother of Jesus. And you say, wait a second, how is he the half? Well, let's just, let's just think about how Jesus came here. All right. get that later. Jesus was the only one that came in the world the way he came in. Um, the principle James wants us to get is simply this. As Christians, we are to be like our God, demonstrating these same characteristics of impartiality in our daily lives. And I guarantee you, if you are impartial that is coming out at home. And your kids are seeing that impartiality come out. So guess how they're probably going to act? Just like you. One of our issues is we keep, I think another one of our issues is we keep expecting non-believers to also act like believers. And we have to stop with that. Man, there was a time when we were all lost, 
and we didn't know Jesus Christ. How unfair it would have been for people to have these unfair expectations on us to act like Jesus followers when we didn't even know Jesus. But we're doing the same thing now. And that's not right. All right, so we're going to read about 10 verses here. And I'm going to set the tone for this series. So just hang with me. James 2, 1 through 10. This is the amplified version. My fellow believers, do not practice your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of partiality toward people. Show no favoritism, no prejudice, no snobbery. For if a man comes into your meeting place, synagogue, where Christians were allowed to meet, wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in dirty clothes also comes in, and you pay special attention to the one who wears the fine clothes and says, and say to him, you sit here in this good seat, and you tell the poor man, you stand over there or sit down on the floor by my footstool. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with wrong motives? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters. <clears throat> has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and as believers to be heirs of the kingdom, which he promised those who love him? But you, in contrast, have dishonored the poor man. <clears throat> Is it not the rich who oppress and exploit you and, and personally drag you into the courts of law? Do they not blaspheme the precious name of Christ by which you are called? If, however, you are really fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is, if you have an unselfish concern for others and do things for their benefit, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, prejudice, favoritism, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as offenders. Whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of breaking all of it. Man, can I get a hallelujah for Jesus right there, brother? Man. James says, God is not prejudiced, and he forbids his followers to be prejudiced as well. James 2.1 says, My fellow believers, do not practice your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of partiality towards people. Show no favoritism, no prejudice, no snobbery. Now, this word partiality is a combination of a noun and a verb in the Greek translated, don't lay hold of a person's face. And I know some of you are like, man, I really want to lay hold of this person's face right now. Meaning we are not to judge a person by their appearance. The word prejudice is derived from the word prejudge. How many of us throughout the week prejudge someone? We do it all the time. We do it when we're out and about. We do it at our, at our work uh, areas. We do it. And nothing damages the reputation of the church, and more importantly, the reputation of our Lord, more than a church snob. A person or a church that prejudges people based on their outward appearance. James is saying, you want to talk about sin? When we judge a person based on economic status, 
the way he's dressed, the way he looks, and then treat him accordingly, we have sinned against that person and against God and against his word. Like, that's serious stuff. When you prejudge someone, you sin against that person, you sin against God, and you sin against his word. And we and I need to be taking this a little bit more seriously than we are. Note that this is not only means that God forbids us to mistreat people we consider less valuable than ourselves and others. He also says it is equally sinful to flatter and fawn over people because they appear wealthy, intelligent, witty, and charming. So quit doing that to me. I appreciate that you got that joke, Luke. No one else did. No, but seriously, man, that's just as sinful. When we flatter and fawn over people, over the rich and the famous and the, and the smart people, that's just as sinful. Our human nature, fallen nature, is notorious for just looking at someone and saying, I like them, or I don't like them. This person is good, and this person is bad, all based on how they look. When we do that, we have become what the Bible calls a respecter of persons. And when we have a respect of persons, we may be flattering some people while gossiping about the others. Mm. That's tough. That's tough. Not based on anything characteristically good or fundamentally bad in that person, but just simply how they appear to us. The difference between gossip and flattery, this is good stuff right here. The difference between gossip and flattery. Flattery is when we say to someone's face what we wouldn't say behind their back. And gossip is when we say behind someone's back that we don't say to their face. Both are sinful, and both are wrong, and both are not honoring to God. Whether you're flattering or fawning over the rich and the culture or criticizing, gossiping about the poor and the underprivileged, you are wrong in the sight of God. And this kind of shallowness does tremendous damage to the kingdom of God when it creeps in to the local church. Conclusion. Not bad, not bad. The purpose of the book of James as a whole is to lay out a series of tests to determine if your faith is alive or dead. Jesus calls on individual believers and the church as a whole, to conduct a thorough self-examination to determine if we're genuine Christians, if we're healthy Christians. The first test is how to respond to trials. The second test is how to respond to temptations. And the third test is how do you respond to truth? Through trials, temptation, and truth. In this sermon series, we're focusing on the fourth test. Do you value all people equally? 
What is your reaction to the poor? What is your reaction to the needy? Do you show favoritism based on a color of a person's skin, social status, bank account, outward appearance? Are you prejudiced? Are you impartial? Are you biased? Are you a bigot? Meaning, are you intolerant of different opinions than yours? Are you a respecter of person? Every trial that comes in your life is a test. And probably some of us, if not all of us, are being tested right now with something. Every trial that comes in your life is a test. Every temptation that comes in your life is a test. And every truth you learn from Scripture is a test. Let me ask a final question. Who is going to come to your funeral? Who's going to come to your funeral? Is it people that look just like you? Or is there going to be a diversity in the crowd? That's a test right there, man. Because a lot of times, most people don't go to a funeral of a person they don't know or they don't care about. Who's going to miss you when you're gone? Is it just a certain status, or is it going to be an entire community that's going to miss you? My grandfather, John Lezzi, uh, passed away uh, what, 17 years ago. And... Um, he was from Hungary, grew up in a poor village, came over to the United States in the 40s. I remember him still telling a story about him being on a boat for like a week and a half, and we're not talking like a carnival cruise kind of boat. And, 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 and he, I remember him just telling me the story about, you know, seeing the Statue of Liberty for the first time and him just bursting into tears because he could finally make a life for himself. And my grandpa John, uh, he lived next door to me. He was my next door neighbor as well, so we were very close. And and he'd always be bringing, you know, always be cooking Hungarian food and bringing it over. So if you know how to make some chicken paprikash or some stuffed cabbage, give me a call. Give me a call. But uh, but he worked in a factory, in a rubber factory. He worked for thirty three years without missing one day of work in 33 years. And whenever he got a chance to work overtime, he would. Now, some of you are going to feel guilty calling off sick tomorrow because I'm sharing this story. Just kidding. If you need it, take it off. But, um, but he was a simple man. He was a simple man and and uh, I just I, I picture him walking around the house and and outside he had a he had a he had a garden like it was like half the size of this auditorium and <clears throat> that he'd take care of and and I remember him wearing those low cut white t-shirts and that's he just wore that all the time you know just simple and I still have some of them and 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 I wear some of them occasionally they're just like they're paper thin you know and um, but. He also hauled Amish around the community. 
uh, and they, he would he would also you know he would work a full day's work. He would go into work early, work a full day's work, and then he would haul Amish. Now, all my neighbors back home are Amish, and uh, you know, a lot of you are like, oh man, that'd be that'd be awesome to be around Amish people and and uh, you know the Amish food and and everything. Listen, when you live around the Amish, it's not as cool. They leave horse manure all over the road. And we got garages back there, so if you hit a doozy, you can be smelling it all night and all, all day. That's a nice thought, isn't it? Hope you enjoy your lunch. They get, they're in the roadways all the time. You know, and so you got to, like, just dodge them all the time. And, and uh, you know, and, and if you grew up around them, you know, we think about, like, Amish furniture and all that other stuff. You grow up around them, they're, they're, they're not as uh, endearing to a lot of people. They're looked down upon. A lot of them only go to school to their eighth grade, to the eighth grade. So I see that, I saw this growing up. And, um, you know, I, I, I care about the Amish, but my grandpa cared about the Amish. And I remember being uh, 21 years old, watching my grandpa take his last breath. I remember going to the funeral, and I remember seeing the Amish pull up in vanfuls. And I remember... Speaking at my grandpa's funeral, looking out in the crowd and seeing Amish in tears in the crowd because my grandpa passed away. Because he didn't look down on people. He, he understood what it was to be poor. He understood what it was to be uneducated. He understood what it looked like to be looked down upon. And I looked out, and I was, and I, and I, and it just really hit me this weekend, more than it did, you know, 17 years ago, about my grandpa loving the people that were the least of these, and that's part of his legacy that he left. And I'm thinking, I was singing these songs this morning, and I was singing about my grandpa, and and he believed in Jesus, and I and I long for the day to see him again. But who's going to be crying? Who's going to go to your funeral? And who's going to be crying at your funeral? Because you made an impact on them. Don't tell me that you love all people when you don't hang out with all people. Don't tell me that you're not partial when, when was the last time someone from a different social class came over to your house and you broke bread together. Don't tell me you're not impartial when you can't tell me the last time you went to a black person's house, a white person's house, and you had a meal together. Let's put that in action. Let's put that in action because actions are a lot more powerful than words. And Sabrina and I, I mean, we were up till midnight last night talking about this. And God is stirring our hearts big time right now. 
And, uh, and we watched The Race. It was a movie about Jesse Owens and, and all that he went through. Incredible movie. But God is moving in our hearts. And I am on, I, he's making me uncomfortable right now. And he's convicting me right now that it starts with me as one of your pastors to set the example. I need to set the example for my kids. And I need to quit being impartial. And I need to, I need to, to make a difference. I need to spend time with people that are different from me and learn from them. Amen? Let's pray.